Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends, welcome back to the podcast. What we're going to do today is we're going to talk about something called spiral dynamics. This is an idea that I've had in the back of my brain for a while. I think it's been there for probably five years. We've never really done a podcast devoted to it. So today we're going to change that. Today we've got with us from Atlanta, Georgia, Doug King. How are you, brother? I am doing great, Luke. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, you know, it's great to have someone who has some ties to the Churches of Christ. I know it's been a few years, but you can still sing a cappella, so that's all that matters. I can sing a cappella, and I was in the pulpit explaining over and over to people why that was an absolute necessity. So believe me, I, I understand and have an affinity for all those who come from the Campbell Barton Stone uh, heritages. Well, you know what? I uh, I could have used you a few months ago when I was having to get in the pulpit and do the opposite side of that argument, and maybe you could have polished mine up a little bit for me. Because uh, it's been... I don't think I ever heard a sermon about why acapella music was, or was, uh, instrumental music was sinful. And maybe that speaks to my parents taking good care of me. I don't know. But we are glad to have some common Church of Christ roots. And you are at Presence in Atlanta? Correct. Atlanta, Georgia. Our group is, mm-hmm, our group is called Presence. And um, you find us at simply presence.tv. Mm-hmm. And the connection to the podcast is. On Roar's most recent book, he had a sidekick named Mike Morell who helped with the book, and I got to know Mike because he was on for uh, part of one of the podcasts about the Divine Dance, and guess who Mike Morell works for or works with? Mr. Doug King. So that's the, the, the full circle of the podcast. We're all friends. We're all connected. Let's do this. Okay, so I went out to one of Rob Bell's two-day events back in Laguna Beach when he used to live there. This might be five years ago, and when I was out there, one, one day, he gets out a whiteboard or a, a, a white sheet of paper, and he starts making the spiral circle, and he works his way up, and he talks about this thing called spiral dynamics, and I'd never heard of it before, even though the guy who founded it, uh, Don, is it Beck? Don Bach? Yeah, Don. yeah. Don Beck uh, actually carried on the work of the originator, uh, who was Dr. Claire Graves in the early 70s. But Don Beck, still very active and uh, is the, the one who wrote the book, Spiral Dynamics. Isn't, doesn't he have a Church of Christ tie as well? Or am I making that actually, up? Actually, Don Beck uh, went to ACU. Now, Don is in his mid-70s now. Uh, he for a while, he in the, in the Dallas area. Uh, he lives in Denton. I used to live in Denton, and the church he I think goes to uh, was the main Church of Christ in Denton. And I had asked some people, "Hey, do you know this guy's name?" And I could never get someone to connect me. But I looked him up back in the day when I lived there, and I couldn't make it. Ha- I should have reached out. To may you. have may have moved on to other things. Uh, he did teach at North Texas State for about twenty years. I know. Um, was involved in history and philosophy and those kind of things. And so you're Church of Christ guy. That's where you grew up. And I know that you've been out to the hatchery in L.A. You're good friends with Trip Fuller. And you've even taught. I, have you taught on the Spiral Dynamics with Rob in, in yes. L.A. at the hatchery? Yeah. Rob and I did a conference together at the hatchery 
uh, using spiral dynamics and um, the biblical narrative. Absolutely, we sure did. And and Danae, my wife, Danae and I have had a chance since then to reconnect with Rob and his wife, Kristen, um, and uh, delightful people, and uh, very, had a great time with Rob. Yeah, it's hard not to have a good time with Rob. He's a... Yeah. He's a- He's yeah, a good dude. So how do how do we want to how do you usually introduce spiral dynamics? Well, in the churches of Christ, it's really really difficult because no one drinks. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> you got me on that one. I didn't see that coming. I got you on you that. So maybe some of you do. Apparently, from your reaction, uh, the you drink um, water. That's what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I, I know. Uh, so. Spiral dynamics is not uh, a topic that I would talk about with any or everyone, but for people who have that curiosity about how it plays, the main introductory point is simply that spiral dynamics is a tracing of the history of human consciousness and the way human consciousness has evolved in terms of worldviews and how worldviews have started at these basic levels as we have started in our earliest human history and become more and more uh, complex as these worldviews move along and that spiral dynamics is tied to history and one of the things that I talk to people about when I do conferences with people that are not and even a part of Christianity in any way, shape, or form, or even religion, is to explain that in our viewpoint at present, the biblical narrative like spiral dynamics is actually tracing the evolution of spiritual consciousness rather than being a book about religion. And um, it takes a lot of unpacking, and uh, that, that might be... Um, uh, diff- difficult to know exactly what I mean by that up front, but it is just simply to say, Luke, it spiral dynamics traces the history of the way thought has developed, and when you pair it with the biblical narrative, you see that the biblical narrative follows the same trajectory which you would expect it to. So, if you've never heard of this, you might think that the biblical narrative and spiral dynamics run counterintuitive or counter to each other. But you're saying that you can see within the biblical narrative how spiral dynamics is taking place. Oh, there's no doubt because again, this is a social science. So when we talk about uh, the spiral in a moment, we'll see that it it has these levels that um, that humanity has gone through and is currently in uh, particular levels here today. And once you see that these levels exist, I mean, it's a social science. It's not a theory. It's it's not a theory about what happened. It's to say, here's the way <clears throat> humanity has evolved. And it's just like in the biblical narrative. You, you see that the thinking moves from um, uh, what Paul calls childhood uh, up to maturity. For Paul to say, I thought as a child, is for him to say, you know, I, this is a, a trajectory where my thinking has evolved. Yeah. There's the, the line, uh, probably in Proverbs um, a few times, that uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And sometimes people don't connect the dots and go, okay, well, that's where you begin, but that doesn't mean where you end. Uh, uh, there seems to be often like the static view that that you know, they, they take the verse, um, for God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, of course, God is always the same. Um, is this saying that God changes, or is this saying that we're changing? Yeah, it's it's the second. 
Yeah, God, God is the same in that, in that sense. Um, the thing that defines to me what human existence is, is at its core, it is growth. And, and growth is in every aspect of, of what happens to a human being. And growth is what happens in terms of our consciousness. It's just like, again, I go back to the narrative. Um, Jesus will make statements like, you have heard it said, ta-da, ta-da, mm-hmm. but I say unto you. And what Jesus does is he draws deeper and deeper meaning into uh, uh, thoughts and, and understandings that have been previous to him, not in a way to destroy them, because he didn't come to destroy, he came to fulfill, which, as we see it in a spiral trajectory, means that as you move up in consciousness, you go deeper and deeper and deeper, and yet you see how it's connected to everything that has been in your past as well. Yeah. So one of the underlying questions that um, is kind of behind this is the answer that we are improving, that we are going in the right direction, that things are progressing and getting better. Now, there are some who aren't sold on the idea that we actually are getting any better. Um, how would you help articulate the under the underpinning of this, which is progress, that we are getting better, we are evolving? Yeah, I, I think I would I would point to history itself. If, uh, for example, all of us were transported back to the first century, and we were there the day everybody departed and fled, and they took Jesus away to be crucified, we may not think that things were getting better. Um, if we were there during the persecution of the Roman Empire, we might not have thought things were getting better. But it's when we take these big views of history, which spiral dynamics and other big history uh, studies help us to do, then we're able to see that there have been dramatic improvements through time in terms of the way humans treat each other and get along, and that today, any type of mistreatment or abuse or injustice immediately gets put in front of our face on Facebook or in the news or in some way, and it's and it draws attention to itself. It's not just accepted by everyone. It, there are people that are outraged by it. So the, the short answer is, is that I believe, as Paul said, that things move from the glorious to the more glorious. That's mm-hmm. what he said in, in, to the Corinthians. So I see that as a trajectory in general, that things are always moving from the glorious to the more glorious. What would you say God's involvement or God's role in that progression of glory to glory? Well... There are two aspects in my mind that flow with the spiral. The spiral is divided into two tiers, uh, just uh, uh, to gen- make a generalization here without getting into to specifics. First tier is more of a deterministic tier. And when I say deterministic, I would again compare it to growing up as a child. Childhood is deterministic in the sense that your child is only going to be able to learn certain things at two-year-old, as a three-year-old, as a five-year-old, as a seven-year-old, and the teachers all go to school to know what is age-appropriate so that certain concepts can be taught at the appropriate age and not before then. And what happens is, is that we grow up as a child until we become an adult. Now, when we're an adult, we don't throw away everything we learn. It's just that we now have the freedom to use it independently of teachers and independently of school books. We have become, in that sense, a mature adult able to, able to use it. 
And so in that sense, there is a determinism in which I feel like God spoke through the prophets in times past, and in the last days he spoke through Christ, and there was a determinism in bringing an old covenant or old worldview to an end, which I, which in our understanding and interpretation of the narrative is that that end happened in the past. It's not in our future. And that it brought in what we understand to be a new heaven and a new earth, a new Jerusalem, which we understand to be a new worldview, a new way of relating to God. And when that happened, the deterministic part of God working through history really moved to a co-creative status of humans. And I see, and people in presence, we would say we see ourselves as co-creators with God of whatever the the future is to be. Would you tie that to Genesis 1 and the initial, uh, I guess, uh, admonishment of God to Adam and Eve that uh, you're to take care of the earth and to, I mean, in a lot of ways, there's some people who say that that's the language of co-creators from the very beginning. Oh, absolutely. And stewardship is a huge... So you move from the idea of possession, even in terms of your God relationship. Paul talks in Philippians about having a righteousness of my own. That's a possession thing. And he saw the, the, the weakness in that view, and he realized that he, he was moving toward a new way of understanding. So for us, we would see that this, that one moves from an idea of possessing. We, you know, we don't possess anything. We move rather to stewardship, mm-hmm. that we steward all things. Everything I have in my life, from family to the planet Earth itself and the, all the ecosystems thereof, are gifts. And so in that sense, we are understanding that we're stewards mm-hmm. of that. Okay, so you said the first tier is deterministic. What, what's the second tier? What was the word? Yeah, and it and so it might be helpful to just quickly hit the first tier levels okay. so we can understand how second tier. Okay, so there's there's six colors, and each of the tiers is given a color and a, a title. So once you start and go through the first, is the first three? Yeah, it, is it the first one? The, I'm sorry, deterministic. Is that the first two or three? Well, it actually goes all the way through um, what. I'll describe as the postmodern area that we're in today before you move into second tier. So let, let me just run through it quickly. You have tier one, which is the archaic, and that's where human beings basically become human beings. Now, when we talk, and I do, I talk to people in conferences that are science-based, then that's where these discussions come in. When did human beings become, you know, the homo sapien, homo sapien become this this thinking this thinking species that we are, and it starts with that. In spiritual consciousness, I would relate the archaic to archaic Adam, and and this idea of having the eyes opened would be this archaic experience of God, that there is God, uh, but God is other. God is seen as separate, mm-hmm. and um, and so we begin with this archaic, archaic view when I relate it to the narrative. Uh, so, so you start with archaic. Do you give a color? Are, are you concerned about the color? That's okay. beige. That's okay. beige. Mm-hmm. Okay, so archaic beige is the first one. Uh, second yep. tier is... Tribal, tribal purple comes next. And the, and the tribal, of course, is uh, some of the earliest um, behavior of humans in a collective, mm-hmm. uh, forming collectives. And those collectives were primarily genealogical, biological... Mm-hmm. 
uh, family-oriented, uh, hunter-gatherers, all the things that we know uh, from, from history and people who study that in a thousand different ways. But tribal is, broadly speaking, uh, that next phase. And assigned to that as a worldview is that it is primarily a magic time. So you will have volcano gods, water gods, you'll have curses that get put upon you, you'll have all these kinds of things that are kind of magically related. Um, Just as if your kids are growing up, there will be Santa Claus, there will be the Power Rangers, uh, those kind of things. Okay. So then you move from uh, tribal to warrior, and the warrior age uh, is uh, associated with like feudal kingdoms that come about because there's maybe a famine or something that causes tribes to move into the same area and conflicts begin to happen between the tribes. And those conflicts set up this warrior age. And typically in the warrior age, the strong always went out as far as power, might, domination. And there will typically be a single warrior leader that is the head of the feudal kingdom. Uh, the only rule is the rule of the warrior uh, who leads yeah. it, uh, uh, Vikings or otherwise, uh, feudal kingdoms. That today would, would correspond closely to gangs. Uh, gangs would very much fall into the warrior uh, worldview, if you would, where they typically will have a leader. Everything is done through violence, power, and domination. Mm-hmm. Then you move into the next phase, which is the traditional stage, which is the blue. That's the blue level. Um and that blue worldview moves from feudal kingdoms into empires and kingdoms, institution, and law. And it is here in the blue that you find the Roman Empire and other empires where you are protected by the empire. Uh, you have certain um, uh, benefits to being in the empire, One of the characteristics, though, in the blue mindset is that you are absolutely loyal to the empire and you do not question authority. So when you have uh, Caesar, you have a set of authority. You have those under Caesar. You have loyalty to the Roman uh, cause and you do not question that authority. And that is the blue worldview. All right, let me let me. Let me jump in. Can, Let's recap. Go ahead. Okay, so you have the beige, beige first level, archaic. Yep. Move to the second, which is yep. purple, tribal. This is the first yep. collectives. This is the magical time. Uh, third, warrior, which is red, the feudal kings. This kind of reminds me of like Game of Thrones, where it's like the, the strong. Yeah. Strong, yeah. Oh, I didn't know if you'd get that yeah. reference. Congratulations. Yeah. And some and somebody always gets killed that you're going, wait a minute. They weren't supposed exactly. to be yeah, killed. Yeah, you do watch. Good for you. Uh, or bad for you, one of the two. Fourth is the blue, exactly. the authoritarian. Uh, this is traditional. The empire's loyalty don't question. This is starting to get into the ways... Um, that we find some thinking still going on. Is that fair to say, where you start to have people? Oh, yes. Yeah, the blue. These are also within Spiral. They'll call them memes, M-E-M-E, memes, and they'll call them value memes because they all ha- the, within these worldviews, there are, there are general values that happen, and it's, it's important to know what, the, what people's values are and what the boundaries of those values are mm-hmm. related to because... When you, anytime there are boundaries involved in your belief system, 
uh, and someone exceeds that boundary, you're going to end up with a boundary dispute. Uh, It's like when you are studying something. uh, I heard you in your December wrap-up do a beautiful example, very, very funny to, to me, because you were talking about reinterpreting Jonah. And and that was causing great duress uh, when you went home and said, you know, I'm not sure if Jonah was really a real story and the duress that was causing. Well, that's an example of, oh, oh, wait a minute, we're moving our boundaries there. And those boundaries are extremely important because they affect my interpretation of what I understand the way things are supposed to be with yeah. me and God and who God is and who the is and and is that threatening yes any kind of a thing like that will be very threatening well then wait a minute you're going down a path right now luke and oh man you better be careful because uh you know you're 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 getting way off the track etc etc yeah well first of all anytime a guest uses what i said as an example you get (laughs) you get kudos so well done on that thank you but yeah that that's the archaic that's that's in the red you don't question there's questioning going on and that's where you have like you're saying like the relational issues is if you're not not there it it doesn't go well okay so let's um so we've got red is three blue is four the traditional we don't question uh we got two more of the first tiers that yes we got orange next and first tier then continues on with modernity the modern age would be symbolized by renaissance enlightenment and within the orange modern meme, something happens, and that is they question. They become open. This is a pushback against the blue meme that's loyal to the empire. So questioning happens, and suddenly we question the way we do everything. Now, the good side of that is it leads to new art, new music, and new technology. Because we're Mm -hmm. questioning everything. It leads to entrepreneurs coming along and all this, that, and the other. In religious circles, it starts with a guy named Luther who goes and questions the institutional church that's existed since uh, the early centuries. And that has been a blue meme church that has those boundaries. And he is going and nailing those theses on the, and he's opening up this this path whereby suddenly a lot of people are questioning and once they start questioning they start protesting they become protestants and and so the orange meme is where uh the consciousness of a collective or us as individuals because you, you, you know i have to understand i am all of these memes that i'm naming i have archaic within me i have tribal within me i have warrior within me i am all those things the 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 question we'll get to in second tier is whether or not I'm having a healthy warrior or an unhealthy warrior in me. That's where you get in second tier. You're able to look back and observe all the first tier levels. But in, yeah. in the orange meme, that's what's happening. It's really opening up this, this idea that I feel free to question. And, uh, and actually, the answer might come out differently than what the traditional view has always been. And that's why I might get to a place where... You know, instrumental music in a church is just not even something in my universe of thinking. Yeah, yeah. So you're you get to five orange. Uh, you're you're questioning uh, red. You're not allowed to question orange at five. You are questioning, and then after that, you get to what with green in the six. Yeah. So green is postmodernity, and post mm-hmm. postmodernity. 
um, looks at all the advantage, at advances in technology, looks at all the advances in science. Science really becomes a big thing in Orange because it separates itself from the church. Science and the church go different ways. And so science begins to have its heyday. It takes on an authority of, it, of its own. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it is in a um, conflict and a battle with religion uh, through, that, through that Orange phase to the extent uh, that it leaves a, a void or a vacuum, and people are longing again for spirituality and for, um, uh, at that point, an even more inclusive spirituality. So green, if, if you were trying to figure out what does a green mean or a postmodernist, you would most likely see a bumper sticker on their car that says coexist, and it would have all the signs of all the different religions on it, and that's that is the green uh, attempt to say that everything is relative. Everything we should respect and we should accept all people. Now, of course, you can see immediately that that green understanding would be in direct conflict with a blue boundaried. This is the true church, or this is the way that things mm-hmm. should be. Versus, you're telling me that these people are okay, and these people are okay, and these people are okay. That's the kind of conversation you might get into with with people that that go from blue to orange to green. Yeah, and then you get uh, the mean green, right? Yeah, the person who is upset because you can't be as to- is that right? Yes, that- the mean the mean green is toxic, unhealthy green. Now, all these again can be unhealthy or they can be healthy. For example, in my archaic. I still have my archaic. I'm married. I have a wife. Uh, I still have the same archaic drives with my wife. I still have to eat every day. I still seek shelter. I do all the things that are archaic. The question is, how healthy is my are my relationships in terms of my sexual relationship, my eating, my uh, the things I'm trying to accumulate for shelter, or whatever it is that, that I'm doing in my life? And that will go all the way through. How healthy is my tribal aspects? who is my tribe, which is to say, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Uh, Or I can move on to the warrior. Warrior, instead of killing, may be, hey, let's put down the sword, and instead of red being blood flowing, let's put down the sword, Peter, and let's have the red badge of courage, Um, and let's transform warrior into a healthy warrior, and on and on we would go. Would you say you get to blue? That's the traditional. That's the kingdom. Yes. That's the empire. Would that be the move to the kingdom of heaven? Is that where you? Where you yeah, I put Jesus smack dab in the middle of blue, meaning that Jesus came right in the middle of institutional religion. What, what did you have? You had a temple. You had a priesthood. You had a high priest. You had the law. You had sacrificial system. You had all of these blue boundaried ways that determined whether you were clean, unclean, obedient, disobedient, faithful, unfaithful, and that was your identity and your identity. So for you to sit down at a table and eat with prostitutes and tax collectors, uh, people from Texas, whatever. Uh, Easy that, now. Oh, I'm, Easy so, now. I'm sorry, that was a slip. Uh, <laughs> if, you, if you do that, then you've gone far outside the boundaries of appropriate identity. And you're implying things by that that are very upsetting to those who feel they have accomplished through human doing 
uh, those things that keep them within the boundaries that define they are okay with God versus not okay with God. So Jesus comes right in the middle of blue. And when I have spoken at conferences uh, on integral uh, theory and integral consciousness that use spiral dynamics, two people that are, again, not even atheists, one of the points I make is that Jesus was clearly a second-tier consciousness appearing 2,000 years ago in the middle of a blue traditional age. How do you explain that? Because that's not the way evolution works. My explanation is, is that that was God in Christ reconciling the world to himself, and that's why you have Jesus smack dab in the middle of blue, because otherwise he would never belong there. That's fascinating. Um, so Jesus is in a blue age, but he's more evolved because I think you could say he is the fullness of humanity, and that's why he could be uh, anachronistic in a, in a blue period, but he is uh, a second-tier thinker. Oh, Absolutely. Okay. And so when he's a second-tier thinker, the way I apply this in talking to people about the biblical narrative is to, is to say this is why he makes the statement, I am from above, you are from below. Jesus is not talking in terms of I'm from up in the sky, you guys are down here. Jesus is talking as above or the heavenly realms are always God consciousness realms. And mm-hmm. Jesus is talking in terms of being being full of the spirit, i.e. consciousness, God consciousness, and his role as servant of God is to bring this consciousness into this age and because it's the Blue Age, that actually puts Jesus in direct conflict with the people that are in that age, and that led to the crucifixion itself. I mean, it makes a lot of sense that you would have the crucifixion because Jesus was threatening every boundary they had. Yeah, and and the last thing a, a Blue uh, thinker wants is for someone to, to question the boundary. And uh, I, I have a lot of follow-up questions to this. I feel like we need to go ahead and get to the second tier. I mean, you've sure. got... Is it is it three more? Is it yellow, turquoise, and, and indigo? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And, and all of those basically to to really um, summarize those without without you know having to use too much time up. The big part about being second tier consciousness, or what some people will call integral consciousness, is that in the first tier, if you are a blue consciousness person, you don't understand orange or green. If you're an orange modernist, you really don't like blue and the ones that are not of your color. Or if you're green, you really don't like the blue. When you get to second tier, when you get integral, you realize that every one of those tiers is necessary, but it must be placed in a healthy context. So you are not you are not any of those colors on the one hand, but you're all of those colors on the other. It's kind of mm-hmm. like um, uh, God is light. Okay, we are children of light. Light contains all the colors of first tier, but yet mm-hmm. is itself not a color. So I, I use that kind of terminology to say my job is to have the mind of Christ, which is the mind of observation, God observation, where I look at my life every day and I have to ask myself, each of these tears within me, how healthy or unhealthy is it? And if I'm growing, I will even change what I thought was healthy or unhealthy 10 years ago 
to be what I hope to be a more mature view of the way I handle archaic brain, warrior Doug, tribal Doug, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it's all in the, yeah. It, the language is reminding me of the Enneagram. Which, Very similar. Which has the same idea that I'm a seven. What are you in the Enneagram? Yeah, I'm, I'm a one and my wife's a seven. Oh, of course you're a one. Yeah, you're, you're, you're reforming us. That's good. Yeah. Uh, but you, my wife is a one as well. So my wife, yeah, seven. Okay, one. so we could go out. Yeah, we could, I, I, we could have uh, double dates and would work. Um, <laughs> but in my sevenness, I need to run from my tendency to run from pain. And my wife, as a one, needs to guard against that hypercritical voice that wants to constantly reform everything because there's always a flaw. And that, that's part of the image of God in her to want to reform the image of God in me is to be optimistic, but left unchecked, it can have damaging effects. Absolutely. And that's exactly. So these guys, spiral dynamics and these kinds of things are used in business consulting. It's used in political consulting. It's used in sports consulting. Uh, Don Beck used spiral dynamics with Nelson Mandela in South Africa, his most famous work. He went over there 27 times. And it was actually Don Beck who suggested to Mandela that they use the rugby team to integrate the rugby team as a way of bringing together different uh, wow. uh, different viewpoints, and the movie Invictus was was yeah. is, is based on that idea. So uh, Don has also worked with um, uh, the New Orleans Saints. Uh, he's worked with sports teams uh, because what you want to find out is where are where are people coming from. Uh, you want to mm-hmm. find out um, whether they are in that blue realm, which is uh, God, country, police, army. Um, uh, discipline, those kinds of realms. You want to call on those things within them that they understand and that they respond to. Yeah. Wow. That's, I didn't know that he was behind uh, that. Uh, the Invictus, the, I think the book it's titled or it's based off is called uh, Playing the Enemy, which is just a great, a great book, whatever the title actually is. Uh, and it's a great story. But yeah, I love the idea that you've got to understand where people are coming from. Now let's not talk about uh, the rugby pitch or field or whatever they call it. And let's talk about the church context. Right. Because I hear uh, some of the ways that spiral dynamics is used is because you have different people in your church that are coming from different places. Correct. And so the, a lot of people who want to be a part of church probably has a strong blue leaning because the idea of tradition, loyalty, don't question God. This is what we're supposed to be a part of. And then you have other thinkers who are very comfortable with questioning. And a lot of people are probably listening to this podcast are those who are in that, the deconstruction, the, the skeptical mind, the person who wants to do critical thinking. And so they find themselves at odds with the blue thinking of traditional church, often church leaders, um, because they're at a different color. So how, how do these two groups, different colors, interact in a way where they can, they can create community and have maintain community? Well, that's obviously the big question that everyone faces, whether it's within a church or business or politics or whatever, is how we how we can uh, move together versus in conflict. And it, it really requires this movement towards second tier, which which is this uh, concept of integral. I, I use First Corinthians 15. God is all in all. 
um, to, to say that is a, Paul's way of saying God's integral. And that means that, like you just said, everyone's different and they, they have different perspectives. Now, the, it's, that idea is most troubling to the blue because the blue is, is very much wanting to be a defender of the truth in the sense that we know what the truth is, we've defined it, it has boundaries, why are you questioning it? And so if I'm in orange and I'm questioning those boundaries or I'm questioning really hot topics like LGBTQ or I'm uh, questioning any other uh, thing, women's authority or women uh, uh, roles within religion or whatever the, whatever the subject is, there will typically be um, uh, that will freak out the blue. Uh, the, the blue does not want to, to, to go there because you've exceeded a boundary. We've already figured that out. That, that was been decided for years, and now you're coming along. And, quite, and by the way, if you show me that, in fact, I need to change my mind, you've, you've, just, you've really disturbed me because my whole security with God is based on the fact that I have those things. And if I have to change my mind about that, I mean, will it get to a point where I think maybe there's not even a God at all? I mean, this is the way your mind can work when you're in that blue, you know, that blue main mindset. So when we talked about uh, instrumental music, which is clearly uh, quite an insider thing for Churches of Christ, yeah. <laughs> um, the, the church I'm a part of made that transition a, a while ago. And th- there's always the follow-up question of, What's next? There's always the thought that there's a slippery slope. That's a very blue thinking, right? Because if if this is broken, yeah. that means we can't trust anything. It's like this this domino idea where if one domino falls, everything falls. And I think one of the things that seems to happen is if you have a conservative person who grows up in a very fundamentalist environment and they leave uh, and a church pushes them, they are far more likely just to give up on all of it. They'll yes. stop going to church. If they're more a, a more liberal progressive person, well, they'll just go to a different kind of church because there is this idea that if you take, they can't remove different tenets of the faith. They can only re- remove all faith or no faith. Right. And the, the all or nothing yes. thing is, is yes. blue thinking. Yeah, and, that's, and that is why you find in many churches of all denominations within Christianity, a problem of buildings emptying, and who are the people that are typically left in a lot of those buildings? What age group are they? They're not younger. They're older. And those are who? Those are blue memes. They've mm-hmm. grown up with boundaries. They've grown up with those. And so they're going to seek out other blue memes, and they're going to hang together with that. And uh, those that are younger are going to begin to question. And if they find they're not welcome within that questioning, then what we'll find is that uh, the millennials in very high percentages are not coming to church anywhere. Mm -hmm. So when we hear the language of, well, you know, you're blue, you're level four, you know, I'm questioning I'm level five, or maybe I'm egalitarian, I'm I'm a six. It sounds very um, condescending because I'm a number higher than you. I'm higher up on the level. How, how can we do this if we if we want to say okay you're blue I'm a green how can we do that without having that sort of condescension? Well, first of all, uh, if I'm talking to people within uh, a, a particular movement or a cause, whether it's um, as to do with uh, the PTA or whoever it is, uh, you obviously wouldn't be having a discussion on the basis 
of specifically what meme somebody is. I mean, I, I mean, obviously we wouldn't be talking. What we would be doing is we would, the more you know about the spiral, the more you go in with a contributing mentality versus a conversion mentality. You move from conversion to contributing. And the less you know about what all the dynamics are in worldviews and the way people think, the more you're going to be hell-bent on converting people to, to where you are. Mm-hmm. So, there's, there's, in some ways, there's really, uh, you can't control the way people are going to react. I mean, you, you have to, to understand that people can, can pick up and leave whatever group they're in because something is wrong. It could be far less than that. It, it could be something crazy about a building design or something mm-hmm. crazy about, you know, not building a family center or something. I mean, it, people leave for all kinds of reasons. So, um, so when you're when you're talking, it it is really to uh, try to contribute to the ones that are in blue by comforting them that that we're always questioning, but at the same time, it's so that we can know where the boundaries are and how they should be operating, and and that no one is leaving God, no one is is turning their back on the biblical narrative, etc. Now that may or may not fly with people. That may or may not be enough. What I think typically happens, Luke, is that whole is that denominations and church groups will evolve, and all of and they all will have a center of gravity. No one in spiral dynamics is absent of any of these colors. It's just that you have a center of gravity in one color, and and so I can be absolutely uh, very inclusive, and everybody, I love everybody. I'm in green. And I'm I'm a lover of somebody, and then somebody cuts me off on the interstate, and I go warrior. Okay, red. Yeah. All right. So, but but I have a center of gravity that's green. So what typically happens is it's very difficult to hold a fundamentalist blue meme in a green progressive uh, uh, denomination or church. It's it's just it, it's because that's where the conflicts come in. Is that the blue meme is boundary driven? Now, when someone says that sounds egotistical. The way the spiral moves is is it transcends and includes, which means that it always transcends up to these next levels, but includes all the levels before it. Yep. Because it's deterministic, I get to that sixth postmodern stage, and then I move into integral. When I move into integral, everything changes, and that's Jesus making everything new. So the way hierarchy works when you're in second tier, the highest consciousness, the way hierarchy works is the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Now Jesus transforms hierarchy. So if you say, oh, you think you're a higher level, well, what I'm saying by that is, is I think it's time for me to wash your feet. I think it's time for me to contribute to your family. I think it's time for me to help the people in Aleppo. I think it's time for me to blah, blah. Yes, I think that is the higher consciousness. And that's what you're going to find is the green memes are the ones that run out there trying to do those kinds of things. And so if you're talking about that sounds like you're, you're, uh, what they'll try to make it sound like is intelligence. This doesn't have anything to do with intelligence. This has to do with the openness of the heart towards spirit. And so, and so to me, the, the way I use spiral dynamics, now, of course, if I'm using the spiral in business, I'm not talking about any of this. Yeah. But that's the way I, I would use the spiral because it's simply a model. 
you, you can apply the spiral to whatever you want to apply to. But that hierarchy thing, the way I explain it again is you're becoming a greater servant. You're becoming more and more wanting to contribute to other people's lives. That's how I determine how I'm doing moving up the spiral. So explain to me the difference between, uh, so we get blue, that's more the fundamentalist traditional thinking, then you move to five, this is modernity, this is questioning, six, you get to green, you have post-modernity, you have science versus church, there's a spiritual vacuum, uh, there's inclusivity. Um, what is the next move to integral thought then? What is, what's the, the main difference? Well, those are the kinds of differences that make people like me and Rob Bell and others very controversial because we start moving toward a more inclusive view of God and who are the children and the question who then therefore are the children of God. How universal is your scope in what you think about those that belong to God versus those that do not? How universal is your scope in terms of understanding God as a world reconciler versus a God who is going to determine some who go to hell for eternity and and who don't go to hell for eternity. Those are the kind of questions you begin wrestling with that I began wrestling with. And I didn't abandon the narrative. What I did was I went back and tried to study it in more depth. Mm-hmm. And I tried to get deeper in it using all these models to to understand Paul, to understand uh, what the, the revelation of John was all about and bringing a new cosmology uh, and these kind of things. And to me, this idea of God is all in all, 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says God is all in all, would be uh, versus a blooming view where God is all in some. Hmm. So, so th- now that's my interpretation. Now, see, so I'm, I'm beginning at that point now to, to move in my interpretation to where even if you are in the green, I can say things and people will be very uncomfortable with what I'm saying. Even if you're a very progressive person, you can, uh, things I could say may make it to where you go home and start crying. Yeah. Yeah. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, for sure. So the, the election this last year caused a great deal of contention because uh, many people in the media speculated that Trump had no chance to win. And afterwards, a lot of them had egg on their face because they could not have prognosticated the outcome that took place. I think one assessment of that is that there was an assumption that people were at a different, different place. I think if you want to use spiral dynamics, it sure seems that Hillary's talking one way and Trump is talking a completely different way. And it's almost as if their, their, base, their base color is completely different, so they're talking to completely different people. How, how would you assess that? Yeah, I agree. I'm not a politician. There are people that use spiral dynamics and, do a tre- and that are doing right now post-election work uh, that is attempting to move to a transpartisan, integral approach to political issues um, uh, because of the um, uh, different strata that have formed in our country. You, you know, within our country, we have a lot of blue, we have a lot of orange, we have a lot of green people. The things that Obama and Hillary did and were geared a lot towards social action, um, social programs, and what we would consider to be uh, geared toward the green, whereas Donald Trump was saying, oh, by the way, as a green uh, you've completely forgotten the things that have to do with blue, like law and order, uh, fighting terrorism, keeping the jobs here at home, 
uh, families having a paycheck, uh, everybody being able to afford insurance, even if they're young people with kids and they don't go through some nightmare trying to get insurance and, and the rates aren't going through the roof and blah, blah, blah. T- Donald was really appealing to those blue uh, uh, blue meme uh, traditional uh, values that, and, and here's the problem, all of these all of these have their place and role and function. The question is, how do we do all of these things in a healthy way instead of dividing our camps up and saying these are the things of this particular uh, postmodern thinking that we're going to push? And if you say anything about blue issues, we're going to we're going to wreak havoc here, uh, or be a blue meme and divide yourself off from all the tree hugging liberals uh, who are who are wanting to do all these programs and. Uh, ecology or in social services when you really ought to get out and get a job or whatever it is that that a blue meme can think in an unhealthy way so really what we're talking about is is how do we how do we get get uh, everyone's needs um, discussed and how do we get everyone's needs met to the best of our abilities that's a huge huge challenge because we're we're a country that's made up of, of of so many different types of worldviews. And complexity now is greater than it's ever been because that's evolution. Evolution always grows to the more complex. So, but it it is to say, rather than getting into demonization, I don't get on Facebook and get into any of these conversations. I I never talk about politics on Facebook. Um, I think you're better um, off for that. You know, some people, that's their thing. I don't disagree with talking about it. But some of my observations are it, that those that are wanting to have respect for all human beings get on Facebook and demonize uh, and do the opposite thing that they're saying we ought to do in, in our behavior. So, so what I'm saying is, is that, that I think that these conflicts are bringing to the surface the the differences in worldviews with people, and the media has always leaned toward the um, what what uh, Christianity would call the liberals, mm-hmm. which is more toward uh, a, a toxic grain. Mm-hmm. And the reason they're shocked is because they weren't they weren't talking to the people in Middle America. They weren't talking to the people who lost their jobs or who couldn't afford insurance. They they were thinking more in terms of the metro areas and the people that run the show in, in metropolitan areas who didn't have those those same concerns. That's just a Doug observation. I'm not a, you know, that's not my area of expertise. Deal, deal. Well, uh, your area of expertise is Spiral Dynamics, and this has been a great introduction. Your website is presence.tv, and uh, people can get more from you there. Um Doug, thank you for the time. This has been a, I think, a very helpful introduction to Spiral Dynamics, and um, yeah, I appreciate it, man. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Luke. I really appreciate the work you're doing. All right, thanks, brother. Appreciate you, man. Okay. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned. <laughs>